Okay. So Matthew chapter 10, verses 16 to 21. Let's read the text first as we do each Sunday. Matthew 10, 16. Behold, I'm sending you out as sheep in the midst of wolves. So be wise as serpents and innocent as doves. Beware of men, for they will deliver you over to courts and flog you in their synagogues. And you will be dragged before governors and kings for my sake, to bear witness before them and the Gentiles. When they deliver you over, do not be anxious how you're to speak or what you're to say. For what you are to say will be given to you in that hour. For it is not you who speak, but the Spirit of your Father speaking through you. Brother will deliver brother over to death, and father his child, and the children will rise against parents and have them put to death. And you will be hated by all for my name's sake, but the one who endures to the end will be saved. When they persecute you in one town, flee to the next. For truly I say to you, you'll not have gone through all the towns of Israel before the Son of Man comes. A disciple is not above his teacher, nor a servant above his master. It is enough for the disciple to be like his teacher, and the servant like his master. If they have called the master of the house Beelzebul, how much more will they malign those of his household? Jesus, cast us your vision for ministry. Paint a picture of our future. What's it going to look like out there? Behold, I'm sending you as sheep in the midst of wolves. Okay, how do wolves receive sheep? With a warm embrace? Are they excited to have a a courteous and charitable dialogue or a debate? Will we get peaceful passage out there? Therefore, what can we expect as Christians in the midst of this world? 1 Peter 4.12 says this. I have these passages on the screen. Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you, as though something strange were happening to you. 2 Timothy 3.12, Indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. John 15.19, If you were of the world, the world would love you as its own. But because you are not of this world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. If you'd like to make a decision to follow Christ today, please mark your connection card and drop it in the box on the way out. You could be a disciple of Jesus Christ. Here's the promise laid in front of you. The road of discipleship is not easy. You will not be embraced by the world. You'll be rejected, hated, mocked, maligned for the sake of Christ. That's part of the discipleship package. We can expect it. And that's what Jesus talks about in this passage. 
the expectation of persecution. Not if it comes, but when it comes. This is what you will need to get through it. This is what we need to face persecution. This is what the apostles needed to face the persecution that Christ was sending them out into. It has been determined. Christians can expect persecution. But, before we cut through this passage and look for principles that apply in our lives for our persecution, we need to soberly consider the reality of the specific vision that Jesus laid before these apostles. In short, I want us to look at what the promises are for the apostles and think about how they were fulfilled. It's sobering, but inspiring. So point number one in your outline is a vision for the apostles. These are future indicative statements. In other words, Jesus promises these things will happen. Listen to them. They will deliver you over to courts and they will flog you in their synagogues. Verse 17. Flogging is to be beaten with a whip or a lash. Verse 18. You will be dragged before governors and kings. Dragged, indicating they're brought in by force. Brought in in chains. And then you notice in verse 19, when they deliver you over. Not if, when this happens. Verse 21, brother will deliver brother over to death. And the father his child. And the children will rise against parents and have them put to death. Verse 22, you will be hated. Finally, verse 25, a disciple's not above his teacher. If they called the master Beelzebul, Satan, which they did, then you can expect, or how much more will they, will they malign you? These are specific promises, aren't they? And Jesus says, these things will happen to you. And remember who he's talking to. He's talking to his apostles. The twelve men, of course, sans Judas, who would eventually betray him. These eleven men then, will expect these things to happen. It reminds me of later in Matthew chapter 20, James and John ask to sit at the right hand of Jesus. Do you remember this? They say, Lord, we want to sit at your right hand and at your left. Or they ask the question, who will sit on your right hand and left? Implying, that's where we want to be. We want to reign with you in the kingdom. And Jesus answers them. He says, you don't know what you're asking. He says, are you able to drink the cup that I'm going to drink? What Jesus is referring to there is his crucifixion. Crucifixion comes before ascension. It's essentially saying, hey, listen, before... You ask for the right hand. Look at my path to the throne. It is riddled with pain, suffering, torture, and eventually death. You still want the right hand? Can you take it? Ignorantly, they said to him, we're able. Jesus says, of course you are. And you will drink it. 
you will drink it. You will drink that cup that I place before you. And what's in the cup? What is in the cup? Look back at the passage. Dragging, flogging, betrayal, hatred, malignment, and death. That was the cup placed before the apostles that they would have to drink. Now, that cup isn't for everybody. Not every Christian in history, not every Christian in this room, will be dragged before governors and kings, or be flogged, or experience any kind of physical pain maybe, or be put to death for the sake of their faith. That's not necessarily the cup that Christ places before all of us, but we got to recognize that for some of us, that's the cup that was required. Everyone will be persecuted. Everyone will experience persecution in some form or another, but we've got to recognize the persecution set before these men was horrific. And we asked the question, did they drink the cup? I was overwhelmed by this in study. I was thinking about these specific promises and asked myself, did they experience these things exactly as Jesus laid it out? They did. They did. Go back to the list in verse 2. So Matthew chapter 10, verse 2, he gives the list of his apostles. Let's walk through this list and see how these men died. First is Simon. It's called Peter. Peter was crucified upside down, ordered by Emperor Nero, governor, king. How about Andrew, his brother? Andrew was crucified on an X-shaped cross. He hung for two days before he eventually died. James the son of Zebedee. He was the first apostle to die. He was beheaded by King Herod. We see that in Acts chapter 12, verse 2. How about John, his brother? Well, John is the only apostle in this list who was not killed, but he was boiled alive, he was stoned, and he was exiled to the island of Patmos. Philip, next in the list, according to church tradition, Philip was tortured and killed by Roman proconsul. How about Bartholomew? Bartholomew was flayed to death by flogging. How about Thomas? Thomas was stabbed to death by spears. Matthew was stabbed to death by swords. James, son of Alphaeus, was stoned and clubbed to death, flogging. Simon the Zealot was killed by the Persians who were notoriously ruthless. Matthias would be the one who who didn't betray Judas, took his place. And so Matthias replaced Judas. Matthias was burned at the stake. And let's, let's include the Apostle Paul in this list, who was later added as an apostle. Apostle Paul was tortured and beheaded by Nero. These men drank the cup. Every last drop. These are men of whom the world is not worthy. Hebrews 11.38 These are disciples who did follow their teacher. Servants who did follow their master. Enduring to the end for the sake of Christ. Denying themselves, taking up their cross and following 
Jesus. These men did that. You know, we're inspired by stories of sacrifice. I love watching, you know, maybe a a YouTube video about a soldier who gives his life on the battlefield. Uh, Love those kind of inspiring stories. Men who are willing to walk through fire, to put themselves in harm's way, to lay down their lives for the cause. Let these men inspire you, Christian. Encourage you to endure through the persecution that God has put in front of you, knowing that it is not Half as bad as what these men had to endure for Christ. So when you think about persecution and you think about getting made fun of at school or at work for your faith, praise God. So they sue you because you're not going to compromise your Christian convictions. Praise God. So some kid smacks the gospel tracts out of your hand when you're at the outreach at the mall. That happened to me before. A kid at school, I was walking on campus to share the gospel, he hit a Bible out of my hand. Praise God. Your family says to you, we can't be around you anymore. We don't want you around because you only talk about Jesus or or we don't want that faith pressed into us. Praise God. You can endure that. These men endured far worse. In fact, you can not only endure, but you can rejoice knowing that you're following your master. You're following in his footsteps. I was reminded of an account in the book of Acts, Acts chapter 5. I think this is in your outline. It is, Acts 5, 40 through 41. The apostles were chastised by the Jewish council in the temple for preaching the gospel. They were sent away and the council was trying to figure out what to do with them. But in verse 40 it says, When they called back in the apostles, they beat them and charged them not to speak in the name of Jesus. That beating was the flogging. And then they let them go. Then they left the presence of the council rejoicing. Wow. Rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer dishonor for the name. And who's that name? Jesus Christ. And every day in the temple and from house to house, they didn't stop. They did not cease teaching and preaching that the Christ is Jesus. You can't just fly through this passage without acknowledging what these men did. And following their example as they follow Christ, enduring through such significant persecution for His namesake. May we do the same. May we be inspired and encouraged to follow in their footsteps. They drank the cup and they did so with gladness. They fulfilled their mission. Christ's vision for their ministry. And it was hard. It was a tough road. And now it's our turn to walk our road. To endure through the persecution that Christ puts in front of us every day. So, with the vision for the apostles looked at and observed, with that in our view, let's look at some principles for the persecuted. There are principles in this passage that we can draw out. Principles that Jesus gave His apostles. That's point number two. Principles for the persecuted. And I think I find seven in this passage. Seven principles. 
These are things we need in the face of persecution. Number one, we need wisdom. We need wisdom. Do you see there in verse 16? So be wise as serpents. Now serpents are known for their cunning, their craftiness. Every movement, if you watch a snake, every movement is strategic. That snake is not wasting energy or time. They're either taking the best opportunity to strike their prey, or they're blending in with the environment to avoid becoming prey. Serpents are strategic, and Christians are called to be strategic in a similar way. We need to be aware of our surroundings. We need to use common sense. Think before you go out. We need to not draw unnecessary negative attention to ourselves. Don't blow your cover, in a sense, unnecessarily. Take the best opportunity to proclaim Christ. You don't need to necessarily bite at every opportunity to proclaim Christ. I'll just give a personal illustration of this. In high school ministry, back when I was doing high school ministry, the big thing for our students who were in public school was the evolution paper. They all had to write a paper on the theory of evolution. And the students would come up to me, and they go, Pastor Morgan, Pastor Morgan, what do we do? Do we write the paper on the theory of evolution? Or do we stand up for Christ and refuse to write the paper and flunk our grade? I would tell them, you write that paper. You write the best paper on the evolutionary theory that you can to the glory of God. Why? Because they're not asking you to believe what you write. They want to know as a professor that you understand the keyword theory. And so refer to it in your paper as a theory. But don't take this opportunity to raise your fist and say, I'm flunking my grade to proclaim Christ. He said, here's a better approach, a wiser reproach. Write the paper. Write a good paper to get a good grade. And then afterwards, request a meeting with your teacher. Now, things have changed a little bit, but um, of course, you want to do that with wisdom as well. But I'd say, request a meeting with your teacher, sit down with your teacher, and explain to your teacher, after they've seen you write a good page, why you disagree with the theory. And then take that opportunity to share Christ humbly with them. That will be better received than standing up in class saying, I'm not writing this paper. I just... Encourage them to think more strategically about their witness. Be wise. Be wise. You know, Paul did this. Paul used his strategy. He used wisdom in Acts 22 to avoid a good beating. He pulled out his green card. He said, listen, I'm a, I'm a Roman citizen. Is it lawful or permitted for you to flog a Roman citizen? And they're like, well, actually, it's not. Are you a Roman citizen? Said, yeah. So he avoided, in that case, unnecessary persecution with wisdom. Thinking strategically, wisely, that's how we are ought to be. Listen, we might look like sheep to the wolves, but we shouldn't act like them. Use your head, employ wisdom. And then if you don't have wisdom, ask God for it. James 1.5 If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God, who gives generously to all without reproach, and it will be given him. You must pray diligently in the face of persecution because that's where your wisdom comes from. Lord, help me. I know I'm walking into a hostile environment. I know my coworker does not like that I believe in Jesus. 
I know they're opposed to this. Help me to think wisely and strategically about sharing Christ with them. Not so that I can compromise, but that so you can avoid unnecessary persecution and plot a strategic attack with your presentation. Be wise. Use wisdom in the face of persecution. Second principle. Innocence. Innocence. Be wise as serpents and innocent as doves. Now, doves were symbols of purity. Symbols of innocence. So, in the first point, using wisdom, hey, don't go out looking for trouble. Second point, be innocent and don't get caught in trouble. Don't go out looking for trouble and don't get caught in trouble. 1 Peter 4 says, Let none of you suffer as a murderer or a thief or an evildoer or as a meddler. Yet if anyone suffers as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God in that name. Don't malign the name of Christ by your lifestyle. Don't compromise your witness at work or in your neighborhood. Don't break the law. Don't defy governing authority unless they ask you to defy God's law or His authority. Don't go looking out for rules to break to make your political point. That's not why we do what we do for the sake of Christ, right? There's a popular evangelist in Arizona. He was with a team outside of of an abortion clinic. And he has speakers set up. And he's sharing the gospel with these young women going into the abortion clinic. Trying to plead with them to save the child. But also repent and believe in Jesus. And so he had this microphone and the speakers set up. And and the police officers showed up. And they said, hey, sir, we got a a noise complaint. Uh, You're not allowed to amplify sound in that direction. So the evangelist goes, okay, I didn't know that. Sorry, he packs up, goes home, and he does some research on city ordinances and codes about volume and sound. And he finds that there's actually a decibel level to which the speakers can be at and still be amplified and still fit within city ordinance. So he came back to the same clinic, was faithful to proclaim Christ, but he brought the volume level down to the decibel level that it needed to be at. He just lowered the volume a tinge. Of course, the police officer showed up. Sir, we got another noise complaint. You can't amplify sound here. The man was very respectful. He said, officer, I respect you in your position. I do, because the Bible commands me to do so. Can I show you the law, the ordinance, the city code? Humbly, I want to show you that we can amplify sound as long as it's under this decibel level. Officer saw it and goes, okay, thanks for... Complying, I, I didn't know that, walks away. See, there's a great case of using wisdom and innocence. Complying with the law as, as far as you're able, but also being wise and strategic. That's what we are to be as Christians. Innocent in our witness. Not condemned as a lawbreaker or a meddler. Point number three. To be alert or alertness is required. Be alert. He says, beware of men. Beware of men. Verse 17. Beware means pay attention. Watch out. Be on alert. Has this idea of having your head on a swivel. 
on your toes, not on your heels. Why are they called to beware of men? For they will deliver you over to courts and flog you in their synagogues. You're going to get hit, essentially. And it's going to hurt. Beware. Be ready for it. I didn't know the Super Bowl was today until this week. Um, I, uh, I wasn't aware of who was playing until a text came out inviting me to a Super Bowl party. And I was like, oh, it's this week. Okay. Um, but I remember in football, coaches would tell me, hey, you know what? The best way to take a hit is to see it coming. That's the best way to take a hit. You don't want to be blindsided. You don't want to be caught off guard. The best way to take a hit is to see it coming and embrace, embrace, bear down for it. Similarly, Christian, you're going to get hit. Maybe not physically, but you will be attacked. You'll be mocked. Bear down. Get ready for it. Don't get caught off guard by it. Be on high alert. Be ready to take that hit for your faith. Get ready for some uncomfortable conversations with family members. Expect that. Be ready for a difficult conversation with a coworker. They might get upset. They might say mean things to you. Be ready for that. Get ready to be made fun of. Expect it. See it coming. Even at times, be ready to take a blow, to be arrested, even to be put to death for the sake of Christ. Get ready. Beware. Be alert. Remember what Peter said in 1 Peter 4, we read that passage, he says, do not be surprised. Don't be caught off guard when persecution comes, trials hit you. We need to expect it. We need to be alert towards it. Be ready. Principle number four, we need the Word. We need the Word. Look at what he says in verse 19. He says, when they deliver you over... Do not be anxious about how you're to speak or what you're to say. For what you are to say will be given to you in that hour. That's pretty amazing. But think about it. Is Jesus kind of saying here like, don't be prepared with the word? Because the word's going to be given to you in that hour. So isn't this kind of like the not prepare approach, the wing it approach, the shoot from the hip approach? Shouldn't... Shouldn't we just kind of wait for God to tell us what to say in that moment? For the apostles, yes, but it's important for us to remember the context that this instruction is given in. This instruction is given to the apostles. And how does the instruction come to them? It says, for it is not you who speak, but the Spirit of your Father speaking through you. So the apostles were empowered by the Holy Spirit to prophesy. To, to not say what they thought was right, but to speak as God speaks. They were vessels. They were prophets. They had that unique gift. And so he sends them out with that extraordinary power, and he sends them out before the Scriptures were written, before this book came out. That's when they went out on their mission. In fact, God would use these men to write this book, to author the Scriptures, And so they had this unique gift of prophecy. As they speak, God speaks through them. And the Word of God comes to them extemporaneously. 
It was God's word delivered by the Holy Spirit. How do we get that now? Not extemporaneously. We get it as those men have penned it in this book. This is how the Holy Spirit speaks to us today. Speaks to us, He illuminates our mind, He helps us to understand, He guides us into the truth in this book penned by the apostles. I think about 2 Peter 1.21 that says, No prophecy of Scripture was ever produced by the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. So what is the Father's word to us? What's the word that we need when when we face persecution? We need God's word, and God's word comes in this book. So stick to the book. Stick with the word of God. If you have the opportunity to defend your faith, whether it's before a friend or a co-worker, or it's before kings and governors, you get the opportunity to defend the faith and share the gospel. Make sure you're speaking God's words and not your own. Make sure that the word comes from this book. Make sure that it's accurate and aligned with God's word. Better for you to be condemned, persecuted, and your last words be the unadulterated pure word of God than for it to be your own opinion, your words. Make sure that they are God's words. The significant sentence there is, it's not you who speak, but the Spirit of your Father speaking through you. The way the Spirit speaks through you, Christian, is employing this book, speaking God's word revealed in Scripture. So you're going to need the word, and you need to stick to the book when you're persecuted. To memorize it, to know it, to be able to have it so richly dwelled in your mind that when that persecution comes, when that attack comes, your only defense is God's word. What comes out, your retaliation is not an angry outburst, but it is God's word. That's what it needs to be. We need the word. Number five, endurance. We need Endurance in the face of persecution. It says in verse 22, after all these in, in, um, future indicative statements, these promises, brother will deliver brother over to death, child will rise against parents, you will be hated by all for my name's sake. That's a rough road. And then what does he say at the end? But the one who endures to the end will be saved. Assurance of your faith is your endurance. Stand your ground. Don't break ranks. Don't bend the knee. Don't quit. Don't give up. Don't surrender. Don't stop. Cross that finish line into glory. Endure. Man, endurance is so underrated in our culture. It's a fast culture, instant results. You don't need to endure through hard things. You can easily or conveniently press that easy button and just bail. Appreciated that Tim mentioned this in his prayer at the end of Scripture reading. It's so convenient for us to press that easy button, to not stand firm, to not endure, and just find a way out. Unfortunately, in our easy believism culture, it's convenient, it's easy for you to come to a church for you to experience American Christianity and never face persecution because you're not really truly following Christ. 
put on the good face for Sunday morning, but out in the work world or out in the world that you go to, there's no defense of Christ. There's no witness. There's not a life of purity and holiness. And so there's no reason for them to attack you. You look just like the world. And you're received by the world. There are a lot of quote-unquote Christians in America that are just like that. Never facing persecution because they don't truly follow Christ with their whole life. Persecution, in fact, a culture that has persecution in it, and, and especially in the first century, it would weed out those kinds of Christians instantly. Like a little heat comes and, and the weak run away, right? When the going gets tough, the faithless get going. They're out of here. Persecution purifies the church in that sense. And only those who endure are the ones who are really saved. Those who have assurance of their faith. In Revelation 2.10, Jesus tells the church in Smyrna, He says, don't fear what you're about to suffer. He says, behold, the devil is about to throw some of you into prison that you may be tested for ten days. You'll have tribulation. Wow. Then he says this, be faithful unto death. And I'll give you the crown of life. Be faithful to death, and I will give you the crown of life. Endure for the king. Endure for the crown. Endure for glory. This light and momentary affliction is producing for us an eternal weight of glory in heaven. Just talking to little Josiah Yan in the back, and he asked me what I was going to preach today. And uh, I told him I was going to preach on preparing for persecution. He said, oh, that's good. He said, you know, and if we're persecuted, we should just keep going and sharing the gospel anyway. I said, that's right. And I quoted him that passage. I said, the light momentary affliction is producing for us an eternal weight of glory. This little persecution pales in comparison to the glory that we'll receive when we see Christ face to face. And that should motivate us to endure, to stand fast and hold on. You're going to need endurance in the face of persecution. Point number six, you're going to need to move. Movement. Movement. He says, when they persecute you, verse 23, in one town, he says, flee to the next. He says, for truly I say to you, you'll not have gone through all the towns of Israel before the Son of Man comes. I don't think Jesus intends to tell his apostles to bail when it gets hard. That's not what he means here. He says, rather, he doesn't want them to linger in disappointment or discouragement and and stop altogether. He wants them to keep moving. Keep moving in the mission. He says, don't worry. You're not going to complete the work in your lifetime. In fact, it won't be complete until the Son of Man comes in glory. Or before the Son of Man comes in glory. So keep moving. Keep going. Going all to the house of Israel and then out to the nations, as our commission tells us. Don't stop. You know, when we get hurt, when we're persecuted, when we're attacked for our faith, it's easy to stop and lick your wounds. It's easy to get discouraged and throw a pity party. Jesus says, don't stop. Keep moving. Go to the next place. Go to the next person. There's a harvest out there. A lot of people that need, my people that need to hear the gospel and respond to the good news, keep moving. Don't stop. Until He comes back. When the Son of Man comes back in glory, there's your stopping point. When He comes back to usher in His kingdom. 
So movement. Movement is going to be necessary in the face of persecution. Okay, so we'll need wisdom, number one, to be wise as serpents. We'll need innocent, to be innocent as doves. We'll need alertness, to beware of men who attack us. Uh, four, we're going to need the word. We need to say God's words or the words of the Father, not our own words. Five, we need endurance, to be enduring to the end, to be saved. Six, we need movement. We need to keep going in the mission. And finally, I know a lot of principles. Seven, emulation. This is the landing spot, and it's a good one because this is the essence of persecution. This is what you need to wrap your mind around to understand persecution and why you can expect it in the Christian life. Emulation. The essence of persecution is this. They persecuted him, therefore they'll persecute you. They persecuted him, therefore they'll persecute you. And if you're not persecuted, then test your faith. You might not be following him. Because you will emulate your master. You'll emulate your teacher. You'll experience what he experienced simply by walking in his footsteps. That's the essence of persecution. We don't go out looking for trouble. We don't go out looking for a beating. We, it comes to us naturally because we follow him. Emulation. Look at what Jesus says in verse 24. He says, A disciple is not above his teacher, nor a servant above his master. It's enough for the disciple to be like his teacher and the servant to be like his master, for the Christian to be like Jesus. So, if they called the master of the house Beelzebul, Satan, how much more will they malign those of his household? Do you understand the principle? If they persecuted him, then they will persecute you as you follow him. Listen, our Savior suffered. He did. The teacher was tortured on a Roman cross. The master was maligned. He was mocked, despised, made fun of. Our Christ was killed. And if we walk in his footsteps, we can expect to face the same troubles. And so what should be our focus? What should we do in the face of persecution? Very simple. Follow Jesus. Stay focused on Him. Emulate Him. Imitate Him. Walk behind Him. Keep walking behind Him. Don't stray to the right. Don't stray to the left. Follow Jesus and persecution will just come. Naturally. It will. Some facet of persecution. You might just be mocked in this life, made fun of. You might lose some friends, some family members because of your faith in Christ. You can expect that to happen. We might be walking into a culture where more intense persecution will come to us, where people will actually attack us for our Christian faith, attack our Christian morals. We've got to be ready for that too. It may not happen in the next generation or the next lifetime. That might happen in our lifetime. We need to be ready for that. But we don't go out looking for those things. We simply focus on following the master 
And if our eyes are set on Him, then we can endure through those things. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 2 says, Run the race set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before Him, endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Considered Him who endured from sinners such hostility against Himself, so that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted. Look to Christ for encouragement in the midst of persecution. Because He walked before you. He experienced this before you did. And you, by simply following in His footsteps, can expect the same thing. That's why the apostles were able to rejoice after they had been flogged and beaten. Because they were counted worthy to suffer in the same way that their master suffered. That is the essence of persecution. Following our master. Following our master. And I want you to notice that Jesus repeats this line in here. You'll be hated by all for my name's sake. For my name's sake. For me. For the sake of Christ. Don't suffer for anybody else or any other sake, any other cause. I would just encourage you, and just, just as kind of a final comment in this sense for the sake of Christ, is that often political values, political ideologies can surpass and become more important even in the Christian's mind than Christian values, the person of Christ. Remember who you're fighting for. Not for the politics. You're fighting for the sake and for the name of Jesus. Make sure you distinguish that in your mind. It's for Him. It's for the advancement of the Gospel. And if you emulate Him, you can expect to be persecuted just as He was. Persecution is coming. You will face it if you follow Jesus. When you do, make sure you employ wisdom. Make sure that you are innocent as a dove. You don't suffer as a lawbreaker or a meddler. Make sure you're alert. You're ready for it. Make sure you've got the Word, God's words, not yours. Make sure that you endure to the end. Make sure that you keep moving for the sake of the advancement of the Gospel. Make sure that you're emulating Jesus Christ, that you're walking in His footsteps. Next week, Jesus is going to deal with number one. The number one excuse that prevents us from sharing the gospel. Fear. He's going to deal with that head on next week. So come back to hear what God's word has to say there. I want to finish with the prayer of St. Andrew. Um, The prayer of St. Andrew, the Apostle Andrew. Tradition tells us this prayer is based on his actual words as he walked to the cross that he would be crucified on. These are words that he said out loud, or words like this. It says this, O most beautiful cross that was glorified by carrying the body of Christ. Glorious cross, sweetly desired, ardently loved, always sought, and finally prepared for my heart 
that has so long awaited you. Take me, O cross. Embrace me. Release me from my life among men. Bring me quickly and diligently to my Master. Through you, He will receive me. He who through you has saved me. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I pray that you would make us faithful disciples of Jesus Christ. Faithful apostles, messengers that go out with the good news of the gospel. Even amidst persecution. And as we faithfully follow Christ, Lord, help us to be ready to expect persecution in this life. It will come in many forms. Lord, likely believers in this room have already faced it. From family members, co-workers, old friends that have maligned them, hurt them, betrayed them, left them. God, I pray you encourage them. Even, even some in this room who are, who are experiencing that right now. I pray you would encourage them, motivate them to press on, to endure for the sake of Christ. To be faithful to the gospel, to be faithful to your word. Help us all to do that. Help us to not have our knees bow before men, to compromise your witness. Give us strength, wisdom, endurance, innocence, purity, holiness, alertedness, readiness, all these things we need to emulate you and to follow Christ in our life. Help us, Lord. We desperately need you in the midst of persecution. In Jesus' name, amen.